listeners, my name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. When you are driving on the highway, there are times when you are met with frustrating situations. There are cars on all sides of you driving at the same speed, cars in front of you driving below the speed limit, making it impossible for you to pass. This is what happened to me when I was rushing to work. All the cars in all three of the lanes in front of me were driving below the speed limit as if they planned this, making it impossible for me to speed up. So I became angry and tried everything to pass them. As soon as I saw an opening, I switched from lane to lane to pass. I should have just passed them calmly, but I decided to look each of the drivers in the face and show them how angry I was. But as time went by, I felt embarrassed about what I had done. I was embarrassed because my action of looking at them angrily was so different from how I always pray, and that is to become like Jesus Christ. But if I look back at my life, this is not the only example of how I am nothing like Jesus. If I am crunched for time, I drive at high speeds, going against the speed limit, looking in my rearview mirror to see if there are any cops following me. There are also times that I fall into the temptations of the world. There are many times that I sin in my heart. Sinful thoughts quietly enter my mind. An evil nature still resides in me, including judgment of others, criticism, jealousy, being egotistical, and as I mentioned, anger. I get disappointed in myself when I see that my ego has not gone away and I start to criticize myself. We will continue this discussion after this song. cry for humility, crush the pride that has blinded me, forgive my hidden faults and bring the fear of God until your dread. Stand blameless before your throne. 
Bible tells us multiple times that when we are saved and become Christians, we are dead in our sins. We are not only forgiven for our sins, but we are dead in our transgressions and our sins. What does it mean to die? A person that is dead has no reaction to someone that is poking at them. If we go by this statement, if we are dead in our sins, we should have no reaction to sin, right? If sin enters our hearts, we should not be shaken by it. But the problem is that when we look into our lives, we can still find sin. It is not something that goes against the law of the world, but goes against the word in the Bible. We are still reacting to the sin that enters in our lives. How do we really say that we are dead in our transgressions and sins? I feel that it never dies. Then, what does it mean to be dead in our sins? Romans chapter 5 verse 21 says, So that, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How did we live in the past? Because of our own sins, we are judged for those sins, and the result is death and we could receive the full rule. This is why Paul says, sin reigns in death for us. But through Jesus Christ, we are no longer ruled in death, but are ruled under God's will and eternal life. So, to be dead in our transgressions means 
that our past selves, the ones that are judged and punished with death, are dead. And now we are ruled by God's grace with our new identity as the children of God. In other words, today, I am alive again and living under the rule of grace. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 11-13, through 13, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When we have the urge to sin, we must always proclaim and remember that our old self has died. We must proclaim that Satan, who was once the ruler of our life, no longer has authority over our life. We now have to live our lives with the Holy Spirit in us. We listen to the Holy Spirit, repent, and follow His will and desires for our lives. We must surrender our lives to God, giving our lives to Him as people born again from death. We died along with Jesus and are born again through Jesus Christ. We are now born as new creatures, as children of God. Well, today I found myself After searching all these years And the man that I saw He wasn't at all who I thought he'd be Well, I was lost when you found me here And I was broken beyond repair And then you came along And you said song over me It feels like I'm born again It feels like I'm living For the very first time For the very first time In my life
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Thanksgiving, Part 1, based on 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Well, are you thankful no matter what? I read about the parents of a young soldier who was killed who gave their church a large gift as a memorial for their son. And as they were in front of the congregation giving the gift in presentation to the church, another mother who had a son in the war whispered to her husband, let's give the same for our boy. The father said, why? What are you talking about? Our boy didn't lose his life. She replied, that's just the point. Let's give it because he didn't. You know, it's easy to be thankful when everything's going great. It's another thing to be thankful when things aren't going that way. And I think one of the marks of spiritual maturity is a thankful heart. I want to talk to you about thanks living. We say Thanksgiving, and I think sometimes, you know, we don't think about that. We just say, oh, throw the word around, and Thanksgiving's kind of a day. Something you do once in a while, Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. When I think about an example of a thankful heart, I think of the Apostle Paul. If anyone had an excuse to be unthankful, I think it would be him. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 with me. 2 Corinthians 11, way to the right in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look on with someone who has one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll pick it up at verse 23. The Apostle Paul is not wanting to have to do this, but there, there are times, I suppose, when you have to kind of defend yourself. And this was one of the times that the Apostle Paul decided, it's time, I have to speak up. Because he was being accused by these armchair quarterback types that weren't doing the kind of work he was doing for the Lord, but they were critiquing him very well. And they were saying, Paul's not a true apostle. Paul's not a really good teacher. Paul actually doesn't even have his heart right with God. And just this stuff going on. And they were claiming to be true apostles. And verse 23, the apostle Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I speak as if insane. He said, oh, I hate to even talk like this. I sound like a nut to have to go into this. 
But there are moments when you have to speak up. You have to tell the truth. And he says, I hate doing this, basically. Are they apostles of Christ? I more so. And he says, look, they maybe show you a piece of paper and say, we're apostles. Look, I got a piece of paper that says I'm an apostle. It says it on the top of the page. Paul says, let me show you my credentials. Look at this. Are they servants of Christ? I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. If you were beaten three or four times, would you remember how many times you were beaten, gang? Oh, yeah. He's beaten so many times, he can't remember how many times he's been beaten. Often in danger of death. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things. These are just the outside things. There's the internal stuff. He says, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin? without my intense concern. Now Paul was in prison, chained, unjustly accused, separated from his friends and isolated from fellowship. It would have been easy for him to feel forgotten and all alone. It would be easy for him to justifiably complain about life, not to mention his present situation. But instead of writing to his friends, complaining about his circumstances, what does Apostle Paul do? He wrote to them encouraging them to live the way he was living. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And I don't mean, and go to the right. Just go to the right. You'll run into Ephesians chapter 5. He's not saying live the way I am in jail. But he's saying live the way I can live even in jail. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll pick it up with verse 15 because it's always good to grab the context of a passage that you're looking at. And so in Ephesians 5.15, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are what, gang? Evil. We're living in evil days. And he says, so you had better be careful how you walk, because there's all sorts of traps laid for your feet. Don't be stupid. Be wise. Make the most of your opportunities. That's what your time means there. Verse 17, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is part of what the will of the Lord is in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine. For that's dissipation. He's saying, look, in evil days, people are going to look for a way to escape. In evil days, people are going to look for a fix. In evil days, people are going to look for a way to numb the pain. And he's saying some will turn to drugs. Some will turn to stimulants. You know, they'll turn to some way to escape. And he's saying don't do that, but find your escape in the Lord. Be filled with the what? The Spirit. 
And how does that happen? Well, he goes on to say, and remember, he's writing from prison, chained in prison, falsely accused. He's facing his death, perhaps, okay? That's what he's knowing. And don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always what? Giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Giving thanks for some things? I wish I could look into the Greek and tell you, Yes, the Greek says that that really means some things, not all things. But guess what the Greek says? Uh, yeah, all things. Write this down. A thankful heart comes from trusting that God is in control and Lord of all our circumstances. I'll say that again. A thankful heart comes from trusting that God is in control and Lord of all our circumstances. Earlier, Paul had written in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The New International Version says, Give thanks in all circumstances. The New Living Translation just Different translations of the Greek says, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Why is a spirit of thankfulness so important? Well, there are definite blessings to what I call thanks living. They're definite blessings. First of all, thankful people are not controlled by their circumstances. Thankful people are not controlled by their circumstances. I see this illustrated in the lives of many Christians I have known. I once read about pioneer missionary Amy Carmichael, pioneer missionary to India. She became very weak and sick and was actually bedridden. How frustrating for a servant of God to not be able to do what they know they're called to do for God. How could this be the will of God? You can imagine how she was feeling. But she said, Nothing in life can harm you. Only your response. Wasn't that good? Nothing in life can harm you only your response. The only thing that can keep us from becoming prisoners to our circumstances is thanksgiving. It reminds us that God is in control. It's easy to thank God for obvious blessings, don't you think? I mean, when everything's going good, I can praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing. But maybe you with me have often thought, how do I give thanks to God for bad things? Because it says in everything give thanks. Give thanks to God for all things. How do I give God thanks for bad things? Because I think one of the reasons we have difficulty with this is that because we think if we thank God for the bad things we experience, it seems like we're giving God credit for doing those things. Do you think that? You think that maybe if you thank God for the flat tire on the way to church, thank you, Lord. It's like, well, did God do that to me? Or the car won't start, or... 
the automatic deposit doesn't. Thank you, Lord. You did that to me. Are we supposed to thank God for those things? Yes. But we aren't thanking God as if this is originating from Him. And it's not His doing. But we thank Him because we believe that He is going to work through everything for the good of His children. When we give thanks in all things, we're saying in essence, thank you God that you are still in control despite I lost my job, despite what the doctor's saying about my health, despite the loss of a loved one, despite the bad news I've just heard. Thank you God, you are still in control. And Romans 8.28 kicks in, for we know that God is at work in every person's life that loves Him. Working His good plan. God is working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Yes, Lord. Hanging on to that. Thanksgiving is not just a matter of thanking God for what has happened, but it's really about thanking God for what you trust He will do with what has happened, right? When things are bad and you thank God for even the bad things, you're saying not so much thank you, God, for what's happened, but thank you, God, for what you're going to do. I trust you. You see, this is why thankfulness in all circumstances is especially honoring to God because it's an expression of faith. It's an expression of faith. It's saying to God, I trust you for what I can't see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction, the certainty of things we do not see. Faith, someone has said, is our handle on what we can't see. I can't see God's work exactly, but faith is my handle on it. I believe it. I'm hanging on to God, even though I can't see how any good can possibly come out of this thing. Someone has said, how happy a person is depends upon the depth of his gratitude. I think that's right. How happy you are will be dependent upon the depth of your gratitude. A thankless heart is soon going to grow cold and hard towards God. And the result is going to be ingratitude. You know, there was that day when ten lepers approached Jesus outside a village. And they were crying out to Jesus to have mercy on them and to heal them. They had an incurable illness. And in that, they were treated like outcasts, and they couldn't come close to anyone. They were excluded from their families. And Jesus did have mercy on them, and He instantaneously healed all ten of them as they were going back towards Jerusalem to get a clean bill of health from the priests. But you know what? Of the ten that Jesus healed, how many came back and said, Thank you! Thank you! Only one. How that must have grieved the heart of Jesus. The Bible tells us that ingratitude is a sin. It is a sin just as much as lying or stealing or being involved in immorality. Ingratitude is a sin. The Bible tells us that one of the charges that God will bring against the world and will one day judge the world for is ingratitude. The Bible says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They didn't give thanks. Ingratitude is offensive to God and it grieves His heart. But thanksgiving, thanks living, pleases the heart of our Father. Look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69, about mid-Bible. 
if you, if you want to just kind of find Psalms, you're not too familiar with the Scripture, Psalm 69, and we're going to look at verse 30. It's really important now that we're all looking together, okay? Psalm 69, and we're going to look at verse 30. Will you read with me now? 6930, everybody read good and loud. I will praise the name of God with song and shall magnify Him with thanksgiving. I'm going to praise to God with song. You've done that. Then he says, I'm going to magnify God. How can you magnify somebody who's bigger than the universe? Well, it's talking about my view of God. I'm going to go boom, 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 boom. I'm going to magnify God instead of magnifying my problems with thanksgiving. Well, that's easy for David to say he was a king. He had everything he wanted. No, 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 no. What's the context? Verse 29. Look at verse 29. But I am afflicted and in what? Pain. He's writing in pain. His heart is broken. He's hurting. And in the midst of his hurt, he's saying, I'm going to praise the name of God with song. I shall magnify him with thanksgiving. Paul can write from prison. He can say, you be filled with the Spirit. Even I can say that. He's saying, I can say that from prison. Be filled with the Spirit, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts of the Lord, and giving thanks in all things. Want to get out of the pits? Start praising God. Start thanking God. Look at Psalm 95 to the right. Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is fun. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Psalm 95, 1 and 2. Let's read it again together. You read it with boldness. Read it good and loud, everyone. Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Excellent, you guys. Read phenomenally. This is what I want to do. If we were in the temple courts and they were actually singing this song in Jerusalem at the time that it was written, they would be doing what was said. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. Buckle your seatbelts. Hold on to your hats. Okay? Here we go. I'm going to divide you into groups and give you a word to say to the Lord. Actually, we're going to shout it to the Lord, okay? So I want you guys to be right here, this main section in the central sanctuary, the center section in the north sanctuary, and let's see, you're divided down the middle, so um, let, let's say uh, this section... This section in the South Sanctuary that I'm pointing at, okay? We're all going to be glory. Say glory. Glory. Awesome. Okay. Now, over this way, you're going to be hallelujah. Okay? So here we go. Hallelujah. And you're amen. Amen. Everybody on this side, everywhere else is amen. Okay? So we've got one more time. That's nice. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read... I'm, I'm not a great cure, okay? But you kind of have to read and look at me at the same time, okay? 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to point to you and we're going to sing, Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. And then they go, Dun, dun, dun. Okay? When it's shout joyfully, you're going to shout, Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Okay? Can you handle it? Oh, it's going to work. It's going to work. Let's all read together and get ready to say it. Here we go. Oh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. To the rock of our salvation, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's good. That's great. That's great. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Let's look at Psalm 100. Oh, you know what's coming here. Psalm 100 is written to be a psalm for thanksgiving. It's a psalm for thanksgiving. It's written to do just what we're doing right now. So, let's let's do what it says. It says... Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Here you go. Read on. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thank you. Thank you for the blood that you shed. Standing in its blessing, we sing these freedom songs. Thank you. Thank you for the battle you won Standing in your victory we sing salvation songs We sing salvation songs You have opened the way to the Father Where before we could never have come Jesus counts us as yours now forever Sing these freedom songs Thank you Thank you for the blood that you shed Standing in His blessing We sing these freedom songs Thank you Thank you for the battle you won Standing in your victory We sing salvation songs We sing salvation songs Yeah You have opened a way to the Father Where before we could never have come Jesus counts us as yours now forever As we sing these freedom songs Oh, you 
blood that you share Standing in its blessing we sing these freedom songs And thank you, thank you for the battle you won Standing in your victory we sing salvation songs We sing salvation songs can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. During our last session, we learned about the blessing for those who are merciful. Did you spend your past week being merciful to others while meditating on God's mercy for us that forgave our sin? I pray that we not only listen and learn Jesus' words, but also live them out with the help of the Holy Spirit. Today we will study the sixth part of the Beatitudes. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Anyone who believes in God would want to see God. Verse 8 speaks about the blessing of seeing God, which is the earnest desire of all Christians. In order to fully understand his words, we will take a look at what it means to be pure in heart. The Greek word for heart is cardia, and it means center, inner life. This means a person's center of existence or their personality. In other words, it's where intelligence, determination, emotions, thoughts, and other things like this come from. God is always interested in our hearts. He looks at our inner hearts and not the cleanliness on the outside that the Pharisees pursued. When Samuel looked at David's older brother Eliab and mistakenly thought he was the one God would anoint, God said to him, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Long before this, in Genesis 6-5, we see God looking at the hearts of the people during the time of Noah. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So when God looks at us, he sees the condition of our center heart. To continue, what does purity mean? In the original language, the word purity is katharos, which means clean without any mixture. It can also be interpreted as the condition of washed clothes or pure wine that is uncontaminated. Pure in heart can have two meanings. The first one is that someone's heart is as clean as the clothes that have been washed with water. What can our hearts get contaminated with? Yes, as I'm sure you know, sin makes our hearts dirty. If the heart is contaminated with sin, the person cannot see God. Therefore, the start of pureness in heart is getting saved. Through Jesus' blood, our sins are washed away. And he says that his people should try not to get contaminated with sins. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. However, just because we pledge ourselves and say, I will make my heart clean, I will be pure in heart, doesn't mean our hearts will be clean. They become clean once we believe in God and confess our sins in His presence. When we repent our sins, God washes them away. 1 John verse 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another meaning of pure in heart is that the person is not double-minded. We are double-minded when we intermix things within our heart. God calls us to be single-minded or pure in heart. People who are double-minded cannot see God. When Jesus quoted the words of Isaiah in Matthew 15:8, he said, This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far away from me. He is speaking about the hypocrisy and being double-minded. This is addressed again in James, where the double-minded people are told to be pure. If someone tries to serve God and the world at the same time, he cannot see God. Those who are pure in heart only focus on God, and that is why they may see Him. Seeing God is a blessing 
given to the pure in heart. Now, what does it mean to see God? Does it mean we see Him through an illusion or dream? This verse doesn't mean that we see God now with our naked eye. But of course, on the glorious day, we will see Him face to face. However, now here on earth, the blessing of seeing God is seeing Him with our spiritual eyes. In other words, it is knowing God deeply and experiencing Him. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17-19, through 19, the words to see and to know are used as the same meaning. These verses include Paul's prayer for Ephesians' sanctuary. It is Paul's prayer that God may give to them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. He prays that they may know God to see God with their spiritual eyes and have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The true meaning of knowledge of Him in this verse is to know God fully and without any vacancy. Not knowing God in a general way, but as a whole, is what Paul means, and this is seeing God. Let's sum up all the things we've discussed so far. The pure in heart, in other words, the people who are free from sins and look only upon God, are blessed because they shall see God. People who are pure in heart only focus on God, so they will know Him and see Him. God opens the eyes of those who are pure in heart and let them experience the desire of His calling, the glory of His inheritance, and the power of salvation. God lets them see Him, and He promises that we will see our Jesus face to face on the last day. Lastly, I'll read Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Those who are pure in heart without worldly things and who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood may ascend into the hill of the Lord and may stand in his holy place. The following verse declares a blessing from the Lord. It is to stand in his holy place and being able to see God. You may think it is impractical to be pure in heart in this world full of sins and lies. However, the words given by Jesus are not a fantasy or abstract. They are God's true and living words that have to appear in our daily lives. When we decide to live by his words and come near to God, he cleans our hearts and meets us. I hope that as God's people, we see God more clearly and experience Him every day with pure hearts. Today we studied Matthew 5.8 together. Next time, we will study verse 9, which will cover the seventh blessing. Thank you for listening, and please join me again as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount.
under Jesus Christ is a new person. Our old selves deserving of judgment for all our sins are dead and gone, and we are born again with Jesus Christ. We are no longer ruled by sin. If we now know that we are now living an eternal life that is ruled by God's will, shouldn't we hope to live our lives according to God, doing His will, as we remember His grace? Shouldn't we be able to confess as Paul did in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 when he said, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 in its entirety reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do all of you believe that Jesus Christ lives in our hearts? That Jesus is living with us every day? I am not asking if you think this way. I am asking if you truly believe and have faith that this is true. If we truly believe that we live our lives every day with Jesus Christ, then we will not waver when we are tempted with sin. When we are faced with the situation that angers us, when something happens that leads to a loss, or even when something happens that is unfair to us, will we continue to live by faith? When we live our lives listening to the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we be able to find ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus? I hope that we all spend the next week listening to the Holy Spirit in our hearts and doing the desires and will of God. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone.
presence, Lord.